0: Good morning, everybody. Faithfulness. Not a very commonly used word in everyday conversation these days. What does it mean to be faithful? In its simplest meaning, of course, being faithful means to be full of faith, something to which we would all aspire. Some words we could use to understand faithfulness in a more general setting might include honesty, integrity, reliability or to be faithful, to be committed, steadfast, true, sincere, dedicated, unshakable, unwavering, trustworthy and dependable. Faithful people can be trusted not to deceive or cheat. Faithful people keep their word, they do what they promised. One of the things I really hate it's when, or for whatever reason, I'm unable to keep the promise to do something. Also, being faithful means exercising that kind of trustworthy behaviour over a long period of time. A faithful person is one who has proved that they can be trusted for the long haul. You don't have to check up on them. You don't have to worry that even if, even if they did a good job last week, they might let you down this week. No, faithful people show that they are routinely dependable in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of circumstances. Faithfulness is the character of somebody you know you can simply rely on all the time. Sometimes we talk about the faithful. Originally, again, this would refer to those going to church. In at least one book I've read, there was reference to the bells calling the faithful to church. But it's a term used in other contexts as well, like football supporters, like Rangers or Celtic. The ultimate in this being Manchester United, whose football supporters club is called the faithful. Then there's people who follow particular singers or bands and always go to their concerts. Or you could have a faithful friend, like a dog or a faithful reproduction of something, which is ultimately how God would like us to be, becoming like Jesus. I suppose the commonest way that we would still use faithfulness would be in marriage, when we take vows to remain true to our wife or husband. Although these days, if you were unfaithful, would the greater condemnation come because you'd been unfaithful and committed adultery or because he hadn't been faithful to the rules of COVID-19 lockdown. Another example of having to show faithfulness to rules and regulations. Today, we're continuing to look at the fruit of the Spirit as listed by Paul in Galatians 22 and 23. From love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, to now faithfulness. And if we're going to look at faithfulness, we have to start with God. Let's start by thinking again about the great hymn we've just sung, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. The character of God is shown in this hymn. No turning back, no changing, always the same. His love never fails. New mercies each day, all I have needed. Peace, strength, hope, blessings, all for our good. God shows his faithfulness throughout history. It starts in the Old Testament with his faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, with his guidance of Moses through many difficult times, with his faithfulness to David, Samuel and all the prophets. And in each case, God's faithfulness was mirrored by faithfulness from those who led Israel through good times and bad. Much of it is summed up in Hebrews 11 with that great list of Old Testament leaders who demonstrated their faithfulness, each paragraph starting by faith. Well worth a read later. As an example, let's look at what Moses had to endure from the Israelites. He didn't want the job of leading them in the first place, but God had chosen him and was with him in all circumstances. He had to confront Pharaoh, persuade the Israelites to escape, lead them through the Red Sea, lead them through the wilderness, put up with their complaints about lack of food, lack of water, cope with the men sent out to spy the promised land, who came back with negative reports about Canaan, cope with criticism over his marriage and death threats. But in all this, Moses remained faithful to God, And more importantly, God remained faithful to him and to his chosen people. And throughout the Old Testament, there was reference to the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy 32 verses three and four, which is also a hymn. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice good and upright is he. Psalm 25.10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. Psalm 36.5, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Even greater is, is thy faithfulness comes from a bleak time in Israel's history, from lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. When, Israel had be, when Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple burnt, and the people sent into exile under God's judgment because of their sin. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So God was seen as a faithful God throughout Israel's history before Jesus, despite all they did to show their unfaithfulness to him. But God kept faith by sending his promised Messiah, just not in the way or the form they expected. And he kept faith by sending Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. Jesus kept faith also by following the path set before him, even although he knew it would lead to horrendous pain and suffering on the cross, and even estrangement from the Father for a period. But even as he neared his greatest test, he told the parable we read today to show what faithfulness was all about. The NIV calls it the parable of the bags of gold, for reasons I can well understand, but most of us would know it as a parable of the talents. The reason for calling it the parable of the bags of gold is simple. The word talent has come into our vocabulary directly from this passage, but with the meaning of some gift or ability given to us, originally in a spiritual context. And as a result, the original meaning and significance has been lost. Originally, a talent was a measure of weight, later coinage, indeed, the highest denomination being 6,000 denarii, or about 300 pounds. So the master was entrusting a big sum of money to his servants. This was all a major financial transaction, and he divided his money up according to his servant's abilities. Also, we think of a talent as something someone has, whereas this money was always the property of the master. Two of the servants made good use of their share and doubled their money. They knew their responsibilities and duties, what their master would have wanted of them. They were prepared to take risks. Nothing ventured, nothing gained would have been their motto. The third servant took no risks and tried nothing. He wasn't worried about what his master might expect, but hid the gold. So when the master returned after a long time, reminding us that after a long time, Jesus will come again, and he settled accounts with them, the first two were highly commended for their work in looking after their master's wealth or treasure. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. By contrast, we have the example of the servant who took the money and buried it in the ground. They didn't have banks in those days, so if you wanted your money to be safe from robbers and burglars, you had to hide it. This servant didn't take any risks. He viewed his master as a hard man. His master didn't necessarily agree. Verse 26. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Is a question, not an agreement. You wicked, lazy servants, says the master. He was the opposite of the other two servants and was thrown out into the darkness. Of course, the whole story is a parable about the urgency of the kingdom of God and the responsibilities of those who know and serve the king. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law got the message. They had buried the law, the temple, the promises of God in their rules and regulations, their traditions, so no one could come near to the presence of God, who seemed like someone in a different planet to the ordinary man and woman. Jesus didn't miss them. It was a direct threat to their position and power. They kept the light to themselves, but this wasn't to be the way of the disciples of Jesus. They had to be seen as salt and light to the world. Their faith wasn't something to be hidden under a bush, but openly giving light to the whole house. So Jesus called for faithfulness among his followers. Following Jesus requires commitment and perseverance, denying yourself and taking up your cross. It is not for those who start off with enthusiasm, but then quickly turn back, or those entangled with other priorities. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's not for those who say, Lord, Lord, but never do what he says, nor for those who want an easy road. Faithfulness means you know what you really believe, whom you really love, what you're ultimately committed to. Faithfulness means being sure of what you want to live for and what you're willing to die for. Faithfulness is what Eugene Peterson has called a long obedience in the same direction. When we joined the church by profession of faith, we made some promises in response to these questions. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and confess Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord? Do you promise to join regularly with your fellow Christians in worship on the Lord's Day? Do you promise to be faithful in reading the Bible and in prayer? Do you promise to give a fitting proportion of your time, talents and money for the church's work in the world? Do you promise, depending on the grace of God, to profess publicly your loyalty to Jesus Christ, to serve him in your daily work and to walk in his ways all the days of your life? Can we claim to have been faithful to all these promises? Are there any we need to work on harder? Here at Clement, we've enlarged and clarified some of these promises, especially in sharing the Lord's message, by praying for the congregation's growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming visitors, by actively serving others in Jesus' name, by sharing our faith with non-Christians. Sharing my faith is not something that comes naturally to me. As a doctor, I've always hoped I'm a good listener, but I'm not necessarily a good talker. I find it difficult to make conversation with people I don't know. I have to work on it. I think many of us feel the same way about our faith. How do we start? Which is where our focus groups in Claremont come in a chance to meet with a small group of Christians to discuss the sermons, to get to know other members, to get used to talking about our faith. Of course, in these times of lockdown, they aren't happening just now, but I would urge you to join the Tuesday evening sessions on taking it further, either online or by phone, which serve a very similar purpose, no matter how far apart we are. And also, Gordon mentioned the SOLAS website last week on Clement Calling, which give excellent ideas on how to respond to some of the difficult questions we might be asked about our faith. Paul was different. He didn't have a problem speaking about his faith. He spoke to everyone he could, built up their knowledge and understanding of the faith, and even when not with them in person, wrote to encourage them, correct any false or unhelpful ideas, and seek the unity of the whole church. He refused to live on charity, but always tried to earn his own living. Paul loved to mention long-term loyal faithfulness when he greeted people. He spoke about some of his companions as faithful brothers, people like Timothy, Epaphras, Onesimus, Tychicus, Silas. They were people who stood by him through thick and thin. But what did he mean by faithful? Faithful to what? Most of the vows we take in joining the church by profession of faith would have been taken as a given by Paul. When he talks of faithful brothers, most of all, he would be talking about their faithfulness in doing the same work to which Paul had been called in giving an accurate and true account of the gospel, no New Testament in those days, in bringing people to faith and belief in Jesus Christ as their Saviour and Lord, and in what we might now describe as the work of church planting, all exciting, enthusiastic work filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what it seems to me the church has failed to do in this country for many years. We've been happy to keep our faith to ourselves to hide our light, to forget about being salt to the world. The church has been seen as a national monument or institution, not as committed people filled with the Holy Spirit, desperate to be beacons of light and hope to the world, desperate to share the treasure of the gospel within their local community, with their friends, neighbours, family even. Perhaps what really matters is not did you attend church every week? Did you read your Bible every day? Did you pray regularly? Did you give to the church? Even how many sermons did you preach? But how many people did you help to bring to a real relationship, a living faith, in Jesus as a savior? Faithfulness as a fruit of the spirit might be harder than we thought. So let us all strive to be truly faithful to our calling as Paul was and keep all our promises to Christ. Near the end of his life, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's join in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, we pray for faithfulness in all we do for you. In sharing the message of the gospel, in giving a clear and straightforward testimony, in bringing others to you. Help us to live and work for you in all the days of our lives. Fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. May it grow in us. And may we be good and faithful servants. Amen. We're now going to sing... Hear the call of the kingdom, and after that, we'll say the Apostles' Creed together and then Ian Harrow will lead us in our prayers for others.